Revelation chapter 4 now. We spent two weeks in chapters 2 and 3. Let's remind ourselves what those chapters were in the most brief way. The seven churches that were real in Asia Minor in the first century under the Roman Empire, which was increasing its persecution and pressure on the Christian church. Among the most significant things is that the church was being called upon to acclimate its lifestyle to that of Rome to avoid persecution by going along with the cultural flow of the empire. To acclimate, if you will, to the wishes of Rome and to fall in line with the imperial court of, uh, cult of Caesar and live your life the way Caesar wanted you to live or face persecution. That increasingly was happening. The churches were called to be faithful in that scene. To endure as witnesses. To guard against compromise and complacency and self-reliance and trust in Jesus while the cultural pressures of the empire weighed in on the new nascent Christian movement. We all can imagine living in an empire where the cultural and political pressure is pressing us in to its mold, its moral commitments or lack of them, and realizing that we could face pressure if we don't align with the cultural, political pressures of the day. You with me? So, Revelation chapter 4 follows the word of warning to the seven churches. They're, they're very particular to the seven churches. And then chapter 4 is going to take us to the scene that is to help them where they are. I think it's going to help us too. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read the chapter. After this, that's after the seven letters to the seven churches. I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature 
like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. Day and night never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. God, I pray that you will open our hearts to believe it, to understand it. If incrementally more, in a way that transforms the way we think about life in the empire we live. Forbid that any of us should leave this room today without a fuller picture of the one God who rules on the throne of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 4 is meant to convey that there is more to reality than meets the eye. Chapters 2 and 3 were written in real time, historical, accurate, in circumstance to the seven cities and the seven churches. We move in chapter 4 from the scene on earth to a scene in heaven. And the scene in heaven is not what is readily available. It is not perceptible to hands, to eyes, to ear, to taste or smell. Our sensory perception don't give us the scene of chapter 4. It needs God to peel back the curtain, open the door, if you will, and say this is what's really happening in heaven. All the while, what you're experiencing among the seven churches on earth is happening. So what we're doing is we're going up into heaven to get a different perspective. I saw this story this week that really helped me because what what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go where we can't go because of what John wrote and see things that are not normally in our perception. And it's going to use apocalyptic language and we're going to go, wow, that's weird. That's strange. It's different. And it's because it's not what we see all the time. But it's meant to be a reorientation by seeing something that only God can show us. I want to introduce you to a man named uh, Don Ritchie. He lives in Australia, and he is going to illustrate from the lesser to the greater what I pray happens in your life today. Don Ritchie lived across the street in Australia from the most famous suicide spot in all of Australia. He lived there for 50 years, and it was so common a place where people would go who totally despaired of life, that they would go there and fall to their death. And he would wander across the street and introduce himself to people there 
and strike up a conversation and then bring them back into his house. Would you like to come for tea? And he would go across the street, open the door, bring them into his house, sit down at the kitchen table, and over a cup of tea, he would talk to them as a nurturing, fatherly figure. And it is, uh, Don Richie's been credited with saving 180 lives, although his family thinks it's closer to 500. He was a highly decorated and awarded citizen of Australia because of this work. Think about it for a moment. You're a wreck, you're despair, you've given up all hope, and you get to be brought into this home with Don Ritchie. Look kind You walk in, the door opens up, and in you go, you sit down, and you have a conversation with him, and the whole perspective of your life changes because you're with him. Cool. It's a great mission of life. What he did to hundreds of people is what Revelation chapter 4 is meant to do for every Christian in any age. Let's go to verse 1. Verse 1, John says, After this, look, behold, a door standing open in heaven. I love that. John, John is going to give us a vision of the second vision of God in the book that we've seen, and there's a door that's open. A door that God wants you to see into. It's put in the Bible that you would get a glimpse of what is in heaven. You're going to see the throne of God, the ultimate headquarters of God. God wants you to go in there. And remember, this is what's going to connect for the seven churches who right after hearing their personalized letter, see chapter 4, a door's open in heaven. I want you to come in and see what is true truth. Real reality. What is ultimately real, John is going to show in chapter 4, this is what's in heaven. A door is open. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that's the first voice that was mentioned in chapter 1, says to John, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. God is speaking. Jesus is speaking to John, the author of Revelation. So I want you to come up and see where the seat of all power and authority is. So verse 2. At once, I was in the Spirit. I was moved by the Spirit. Perhaps I was overwhelmed with the Spirit. And behold... He's ushered up into heaven, I think. Maybe it was a vision and he didn't move off the rocks in Patmos. But I have some sense that he was having a little out-of-body experience where he was caught up into heaven by the Holy Spirit. And what does he see? Behold, a throne in heaven. And one seated on the throne. And he who sat on there had appearance of Jasper, Cornelian, Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. I don't know what happened to John, but he is seeing something in heaven, and he's going to try for the next ten verses to explain it to us that we can get a vision of what he saw there. The first thing he saw was the throne. This is the centerpiece of heaven. It's used 11 times now, the throne of God, in this chapter alone. 
and it is what the chapter's about. Chapters 4 and 5 go together, and they are describing, after a glimpse of the seven churches, here's what's going on in heaven, here's who's on the throne, here's what he's going to do. These two chapters are the controlling message of Revelation. Listen, there are a lot of crazy things in the book of Revelation as you're reading it and say, I, I don't know how that fits together. That's okay, because it's apocalyptic language. If there's one thing that you want to zero in on, as one, somebody after the first service came up to me and said, I'm, I'm wandering in my spiritual life, I don't know what to do. I said, well, why don't you read Revelation chapter 4 and 5 for the next couple of weeks? Just keep reading it, because it is the vision of what's real in heaven right now. What is real? There's a throne. There's someone on the throne. It's God. And John has to use language to try to describe it. So he uses gemstone. He says it's like jasper. And jasper is a stone that is um, translucent. It's like glass, beautiful, radiant. It's dazzling. And that's all he can describe it. Or carnelian, which is like sardius, which is a stone that with light has a wide range of colors. And around the throne is a rainbow. God's sign for His covenantal protection and mercy. It's green. It's just simply all John can describe is there is the splendor of the best gemstones in the world. Blah, I don't know how to say it, but it's, it's just spectacular. I think that's that's how I would have written it if I saw it. It's like it's just like translucent, dazzling majesty and glory seated on the throne. And around the throne was the rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. I, I would just say that the, the throne is going to convey what? What does a throne convey? Power? Authority, judgment. And the rainbow is there as a symbol of his covenantal mercy to his people. And one thing I look at the throne, and this is what I would say it is a picture of God, and God is integral, He is whole, He is without division, He is perfectly balanced in His judgment and His mercy, in His kindness and His severity. He is all authority and He is mercy. When you see the throne, you just go, oh. and that's, that's meant for us. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed with white garments with golden crowns on their heads. John's seeing something that around the throne of God are 24 other thrones with someone on it. Are they angels or are they humans? Hmm. That's the question that people have wrestled with. And you know what? I think it's humans because they have white robes. People who have been washed and redeemed by Jesus are said to put on white garments. The Bible promises in the New Testament that those who uh, are faithful to Him, He will give a crown of righteousness and a crown of life. 
so they're wearing crowns. We don't see angels really wearing crowns that much. Could be angels. I think it's probably humans. There's 24 of them. 24, why 24? Well, 12 is an important number in the book of Revelation. It could be that there are 12 tribes of Israel and there are 12 apostles. And if they're humans, it could represent that on the 24 thrones, it's a representation of humans from Old Testament and New Testament. I'm not going to preach it dogmatically like you have to believe that. I think that's what it is. There's some mystery, but what's not a mystery about this scene? What's around the throne or the throne? The mystery is not a mystery that the throne is God's. What's around it are these 24 who come around the throne. And from the throne, there's flashings of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. When did you hear that in the Old Testament? That there were flashes of lightning and peals of thunder? Anyone? Exodus chapter 19, Mount Sinai. What's happening in Mount Sinai in the Old Testament? Where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and God comes down and speaks to Moses. Listen, you've got to follow along here. When God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai, there are these exact same manifestations. Lightning, peals of thunder. When God is speaking, what is God speaking in Exodus 20? You shall not, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not bear false witness. You will not be liars. You will not be murderers. You will not be adulterers. You shall not steal. You with me? God sending forth His moral law as the King over all creation saying, this is what my creation shall do. And how are we doing with that? For all creation. Has the creation followed the God of creation? who created all things and by whom all things were created, they exist by His being. And He spoke His word and every empire of this world virtually rejects His law. The book of Revelation is the throne of God coming again to make that right. We get a picture of what's happening on the throne. Before the throne are burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. This is apocalyptic language of John saying, we, we think this seven torches, seven's another important word, number. It's a number that means completeness or perfection. And somehow the Holy Spirit is manifest with the number seven as being present there. They are the seven spirits of God, which is the Holy Spirit. I guess a little confusing. But now you have the throne on which God is. And now you have these seven torches, which are the Holy Spirit. And we don't have it this week, but next week, you need to be here next week, and it's going to be so great in chapter 5. The Lamb walks forward by the throne and the seven torches, and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is there in chapter 5. So you have God on the throne, you have these seven torches, which is the Holy Spirit, and then you have the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world coming. 
4 and 5 go together. What are you seeing in heaven? You're seeing God our Father, Christ our Savior, and the Holy Spirit together ruling over all the creation. It's good. And before the throne there was this sea of glass like crystal. Every time in the book of Revelation the word sea usually conveys chaos, disorder, evil. The beast comes up out of the sea. The sea holds nothing good. The sea is is trouble. But before the throne, there is a sea of glass, like crystal. I'm not sure what it means. Here's what I think it means. I think it means that there is the throne of God, and then there is all the chaos of this world at His feet, over which He sits ultimately in charge of even everything there. If it does, it simply underscores that he rules over all. He sees all. He is the rightful king over the world. Next verse, 6 and 7. And on the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, then an ox, the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. Now I have to stop here and say, how are you doing? Like, when did you read this in church before? This is apocalyptic language, a vision in heaven. It's like, uh, it's too weird. That's why people say it's like a science fiction. I, I don't know what the direct correlation is. I just get a sense that what is in there is now described. There are four. I've given you three numbers. Did you get them? 12, 12 is a number of completeness often associated with humanity. So there are 12 and 12 is 24, 24, there are elders on the throne. There are 7, that's a number of perfection and fullness, and there are 7 lampstands, which is the Holy Spirit, and the third number is 4 four creatures, and four is another number that is refers to total coverage of something, most of the time in view of the creation of God, four. So when you think the four corners of the earth, something comes from the four winds, it's a number of the fullness of creation. So around the throne of God, which is like Dazzling. There are 24, on them 24 elders, and then these four creatures. The four creatures represent, I think, wild animals, a lion, domesticated animals, like an ox, humanity, a man, and flying creatures, the eagle. What for? Simply to say that around the throne of God, all of creation is represented there. The fullness of creation is there around the throne. And what are they doing? Well, the one thing we know about them is that they are not like God. They are created by God. Everything around the throne had a beginning. What we're going to see most distinctive about God is His holiness and His eternality. What they are doing is worshiping and serving. Now, let me ask you a question. 
We're back in the first century, seven churches struggling along, and John says, I want to show you a picture I had. God caught me up into heaven, and I saw this throne. Why would that be comforting to people in the first century going through their life? Why would it be important for John to say, I want you to see the throne of God who is surrounded by all of creation, and what all of creation is doing in that moment is worshiping Him. It would be a reorientation of their life. It would be like being walked into Don Ritchie's kitchen when you're about to give up hope. And the vision says, don't give up. That's what's really happening here. They're worshiping together. Verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes around the throne and within, and day and night they never cease to say, And let us say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there in heaven is God who is holy, holy, holy? He is almighty. He always was, He is now, and He always shall be. He is real reality, true truth. He is the center of the universe. He is ultimate reality. Why would that help the church in Asia Minor or Boulder? Because our world gets pretty disoriented. And it can feel like it is all going to pot. And we're, we're in trouble. We live in an empire, the empire of the United States. We're under the emperor rule. There is a present political, cultural pressure on our personal lives in the United States. Would you agree? It is moving us toward the throne of God or away from the throne of God. Aligning with the word that peeled forth thunder and lightning, this is God's will for creation? Away. We are in an empire that's pressuring us to compromise, to rebel against God's moral law. But in heaven, not so. In heaven, the throne is there. The elders are there. The four crazy creatures representing all of creation are there. And they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who always was and is to come. That's all they say. Can I tell you something? Daryl Johnson is an author who wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. And he said a group of scholars researched all of the hymns and slogans and political commentary of the first century Roman Empire and other empires. And they essentially cobbled them all together and did a word search of what was said of the emperor in the first century. What were the key words used of Emperor Domitian and other Caesars of that time? You want to hear what the words were? Listen, these are in the culture spoken of 
the ruler, emperor. Holy One, glory, salvation belongs to You. All authority is Yours. Worthy to receive power. Righteous are Your judgments. And of particular, attributed to Domitian, alive at the time John is hearing this, Our Lord and our God, Lord of earth, Lord of the world, O Domitian. And in heaven, the twenty-four elders and the four beasts around the throne say, No. You are holy. You are one of a there is no one like you, and you alone are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Listen, this world is calling us to worship whatever we can, and we do. We are created to worship. And so, is it money? Is it sex? Is it power? Is it prestige? And we get intoxicated with whatever is in this world calling us to give your worth to this. And we get a picture of what's real, real, real reality in heaven. And it's this. There is a God who sits on a throne who rules over all the earth and everybody up there says only you are holy. Next verse 9 says, and whenever the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him seated on the throne forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down they put their crowns before Him to the one who lives forever and ever. This is the work that's going on in heaven. And then verse 11, what they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed. Listen, I wonder what difference it would have made to the first century readers to read this. I think if they were in a culture where they were being drawn to compromise their faith in Jesus because Rome was giving them pressure, and if they would just acquiesce a little bit more to the culture, it would go easier on them. Can you imagine being in a culture where that would be a temptation? We can. Is there anything we have to accommodate to in the United States so it would go easier on us? as evangelical Christians who believe that Christ died for sinners and there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved? Can you imagine being persecuted? What would help? I know it's real. I look into heaven and I see there that even if I gave my life for Jesus here, I, I would be ushered into His presence for all of eternity and it would be worth it. Worth it. Worthy. The worship of God is that He is worth following, not compromising. What is intended to happen in Revelation 4? A change of life. Nancy Guthrie calls worship with this quote. It's a great quote. She says, To worship is to let the worth 
and wonder of God sink in so that you respond in a wholehearted reorientation of your life to God. When, when you worship, you simply say, I know what's happening in heaven. I know God's on the throne. I know how it ends. I'm going to orient my life to that. Revelation chapter 4 is a picture of the throne room. The throne room changes everything. I, I, what I prayed for us this week is that we would go from this to this. A door is open. That's how it ends. That's what's real. There is no God like our God. Let's orient our lives to Him. Let's pray together. Oh God, You are holy. You are the one worthy of our life and our worship. And there is a momentary light affliction that we are all suffering in this broken, corrupted empire of this world. But we long for Your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. It is that way in heaven. It will be that way for all of eternity. Would You just help us, God, turn away from every lesser thing and give our life to You follow you with our whole heart. Lord, this is what we pray for because you're holy. You, you're, you are worthy. And may the affection of lesser worth fall into their right place in all of our hearts today. And let us say you are who you are. Alone. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name.